listening to the Retail Perch with Shaker Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode, number 43 of the Retail Perch here, and these are coming quick and fast here, Gary, and we're getting ready with some amazing guests here, on, and we have another one today on the show, uh, and uh, Gary, anything you want to say before we get this started? No, just welcome uh, everybody back to another episode here, and great to be with you again, Shaker, and yeah. really excited to have uh, uh, Richard Kustenbaum with us today. I promise you this is going to be an exciting conversation, so, you know, but I also want to tell you that, you know, of course, you know, we try to stay uh, within the retail grocery space, but a lot of times I think you have to also look at common sense. You have to look at things that apply to retail in general and figure out how to apply it to your own business. And I think today is going to be a conversation around that. It's going to be about, you know, let's step back and take a look. And I know Richard Kestenbaum is, is a frequent contributor to Forbes.com. He's written several blogs. He's also a uh, investment banker focused on mergers and acquisitions and capital raising. So clearly he's seen a lot of things in the market and it's got a fantastic perspective that we're going to learn from. So Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. It's great to be here. Um, Shaker, you said a moment ago it's going to be an exciting episode. That's a lot of pressure. So uh, I'll do my best for you. <laughs> I, I have a strange feeling you're going to do really good. So, uh, you know, I'm sure you are. But Richard, if you can, if you can uh, help our audience here understand your background, where do you come from, you know, and, and what brought you to this point? Sure. I have been a mergers and acquisitions banker for over 40 years. And what that means, if you're not familiar with it, is we are not investors. I mean, we invest personally, but our firm is not an investment firm. We are advisors. And people come to us when they want to sell their company or raise capital. They hire us. We do the transaction for them, which is to say we find multiple counterparties, play them off against each other to maximize value for our clients, and we complete a transaction. It's an, that's an oversimplified uh, description, but that's fundamentally what we do. I was a partner in a big firm on Wall Street called Drexel Burnham. And uh, my partner with whom I founded our firm, Triangle Capital, our website's Triangle Capital LLC, was the, uh, uh, ran mergers and acquisitions for another big firm called Kidder Peabody. And we started this firm not quite uh, 20 years ago. And we're really proud of the track record we have in getting very high values for our clients. At the same time, when you do that, you only traffic with CEOs of the companies you represent. And we are focused on retail and consumers. So you wind up learning a lot about those industries. And I started writing a blog about the changes we are seeing in retail and consumer a number of years ago. And after doing that for a while, Forbes called and said, why don't you put your articles on our site? So that's what I do. And the question that I think is interesting that I try to answer when I write is, what do we see in the world that helps us understand what the world will look like in a year or two or five? Because that makes us better bankers. When we understand where the world is going, we can explain to investors and acquirers why companies that we're selling will be able to grow and be more valuable as they travel in the stream of where consumers are riding towards. So I think that the futures are just such an interesting question and it's great for our business and it makes us better at what we do. So I love 
talking about that. And um, now I've gone on a little too long, but it's great to be here with you guys. Thank you. Terrific, terrific. Gary, you want to see off the first question here? Uh, sure. So, uh, Richard, picking up on what you just said, you've got a really interesting perspective uh, as an observer across a lot of activity here. And, you know, thinking of the past 18 months, the shift to online, particularly in the grocery industry, a uh, lot of implications from that. And, you know, we're still right in the middle of this and there's a lot more change that's coming. But one of the things that, that you've written about and, and sort of uh, pointed to is the impact on physical store economics as the growth of online continues. If you would, let, let's unpack that a little bit for our audience, because my perspective, and I talk to retailers of all sizes across the country, you know, every day, I, I don't think a lot of them, most of them have really stopped to think about some of the implications here. Yeah. Well, you know, you start off with the fundamental principle that the grocery business is a thin margin business. So you don't have a lot of flexibility to add cost or change the economics of your business. And one of the things that you don't have to think about in the grocery business is after you put something on the shelf, you don't think about the cost of getting it off the shelf and the cost of bringing it to the consumer's home because that's work that the consumer does for you and it helps you keep your prices down. What happens to a business like that when that cost that has always been borne by the consumer is now borne by you? So now you have to have labor, which aside from the scarcity of it these days, the expense is only rising, go out and pick the stuff and bring it to people's homes or even just out to the parking lot, which you never had to do before. So a, a, a few things happen. First of all, no one has figured out yet how to make money in that business at scale. There's lots of possibilities, there's lots of ways to grow revenue, but there aren't a lot of ways right now to make money. Clearly the path appears to be use technology to do that picking and create efficiency. And that will lead to profitability if you can do it at a big enough scale. What that also means is that the consumers who are ordering online can't be fulfilled in store. You can't use a legacy 100,000 square foot supermarket to fulfill those orders. You won't get the efficiency you need to be profitable and have positive cash flow in the online grocery business. And so you have to ask yourself, if you're a grocer, I always thought of my business as a grocer as having an anchor in the stores. The fact that I'm relatively convenient to people's homes matters a lot. It draws consumers in and that's the, it's the anchor of my business. Well, when the consumers stop coming into the store, that anchor becomes a ball and chain because in a thin margin business, when you don't get the scale that you traditionally had, the economics of the store start going upside down because you don't create enough revenue to cover the cost of keeping the store. And that means we're going to need fewer supermarkets, fewer traditional supermarkets. And the industry is not dealing with that. We're going to see mega mergers and closed stores and yes, some of them can be converted to dark stores that'll be used for fulfillment. Some of them would be used for micro fulfillment, but a lot of them won't be able to be. 
And yeah. we're going to see stores in more convenient places, perhaps malls. We're starting to see it. And, and we're going to see a lot of change. Let's say, you know, those 100,000 square foot stores are the base of the industry since the, since the growth of the suburbs at the end of World War II. And now we're seeing a major change about to take place. So the economics of the business are changing. The survivors in the industry are going to be the very big grocers who have the scale to, in, to experiment and install the technology that will make home delivery more efficient and remain competitive. And there's gonna be a lot of failure. And if you don't accept testing and failure as part of the road to success, then you're not going to make it. And it's going to be a very different ride. I went to um, grocery shop, the last grocery shop before the pandemic. And every time I sat in a group, I asked whoever I was with, do you think that the top five grocers will be the top five grocers in 10 years from now? Almost no one said yes. Everyone believes that we're, we're going to see fragmentation, we're going to see upstarts, we're going to see change. One of Amazon's amazing strengths is their willingness to put real money into experimentation, to fail, to learn, and to move on to the next thing. And I must say, I have to hand it to Walmart, because Walmart has put a lot of money into trying new things in grocery in order to maintain their position. And they've done a good job in serving consumers and keeping them in the store or, you know, as customers in, in grocery. And it's going to take that. What, what will happen to, will Kroger be in their position as the leading independent grocer in 10 years from now? It's going to depend on how they adapt to online, because if they can't adapt, then they're going to have to close stores. And you're not a leader. You, you, you can't get to profitability by closing stores. That's not how you make a lot of money. Right. Yeah, so that's, yeah. that's a long answer, but... No, no. Gary, keep going. You, you, it yeah, kind of yeah. sets the stage for the turmoil that we're going to see. Oh, absolutely. I mean, anyone in, in grocery retail understands that, that thin line uh, that's driven by sales volume, right? Between, you know, great cash flow or you're losing a pile of money real quick. And I think that a lot of traditional retailers, again, from small to some of the very largest, haven't really thought through some of the implications here. That, you know, today, most nearly all retailers continue to fulfill online orders out of the existing stores. So those dollars are still coming out of that physical store and being credited back to that physical store. But as volume continues to grow, and to your point, retailers look to technology, micro-fulfillment centers, automated distribution centers like Ocado, et cetera, those dollars are now gonna shift away from that physical store. And if 20% you know, of that sales volume goes away, that store, most stores are going to go from, you know, profitable to uh, serious loss makers pretty quickly. Let's talk about some other changes that are going to happen simultaneously that we've never seen. Because even when we talk about uh, online grocery, we still think about that weekly shopping trip that, that your mom made. And we don't think about how it might be done in different ways. For example, a great deal of the stuff that's sold in grocery stores today is made by large CPG companies. Those companies do not know how 
to sell direct to consumer because it's not their business. But once a consumer is buying no longer from the store, they're gonna be asking themselves, they're asking themselves now, how do I get direct to my consumer? Now that the consumer is making their decision on a screen, be it mobile or laptop, desktop, whatever, I wanna be on that screen. Why shouldn't I be? And if I don't do it, someone else is gonna do it. Now, some of these products have a lot of problems with shipping because of the cube or the weight, right? If you have a giant box of Cheerios or a 12 pack of Coca-Cola, those things are not so well suited to shipping. So they make sense for aggregation. But there's another element we've seen that doesn't exist in grocery today, which is subscription. So you know that you're gonna be ordering breakfast food, condiments, uh, supplies on a regular schedule. And if you could have it come automatically, being able to be adjusted with a touch on your phone, there's no reason why you wouldn't want that convenience. So it's possible when you think about the supermarket as having two components, for example, of core and periphery, where core are those basics ketchup, mustard, salt, breakfast cereal that you buy all the time in, our, in a package. Those products are very well suited to being subscription products on their own cadence. So a subscription business that specializes in those core products is an opportunity in the grocery business and both the selling direct to consumer, the subscription business and those core products are all possible to completely leave the purview of the existing large grocery companies over the next 10 years. And that means their business overall may shrink, both online and in the store. And, yeah. and there's, there's nobody preparing for that. So, so the amount of upheaval that is possible in the grocery business now is so broad that we can't even imagine what the grocery business is going to be like in 10 years from now. And 10 years is just, I'm an old guy. 10 years, is not a long time. No, that's right. 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 No, this is, this is fascinating. Cause I think, uh, you know, we've discussed this many times is that, you know, e-commerce is taking off and we realize that it's a fast growing segment of grocery retail and it's both a blessing and a curse because the, the blessing is now you have a, your store has a wider reach because you're not limited by where your shopper lives in terms of who you can reach. But the curse is that it adds cost to you and it makes it a big challenge to make this profitable. Uh, right. but, but let's talk about the experiential side of things, which is if you have pickers in your store, picking up products in the way of other customers, that's also actually going to, um, impact your in-store experience for your shoppers. So you're losing both ways. You're losing money on the delivery and the picking, and you're losing, and, and uh, you're basically uh, you know, reducing or minimizing the experience in the in-store for the shoppers who do like to shop in-store, right? So in my experience, every year, there's a different answer to the question, what is the biggest opportunity in retail? Sometimes it's grocery. Sometimes it's shirts. Sometimes it's some other thing. It's always been a product. But if you ask me right now, what's the biggest opportunity in retail? Because retail is ever changing since it's right next to the consumer. They're always changing. There's always an opportunity. That opportunity is retail technology. 
And that is different because retail technology takes a different state of mind to understand than potatoes or pants or socks. And not everyone in retail is adapting to it, which is why the current moment is so challenging, not in grocery, but in all of retail. So you see organizations that have been successful that are completely stymied by retail technology. And you know, even for the grocers that will survive in whatever format they, they will be in, the technology of having an efficient supply chain. So often products come to a store and they don't get on the shelf. That alone, getting a product in and out of a distribution center, knowing where your stuff is so that it can be sold, so that you're there in the right quantities. There's billions of dollars in the supply chain that are there only because of inefficiency and because we're all human beings and we can't be as efficient as possible all the time that those billions of dollars can get released and be, be freed up on the balance sheets of big grocers and other big retailers through the use of technology. But understanding what's an opportunity and what's just a lot of churning dollars, investing in technology that doesn't go anywhere, that's, that's really hard. Yeah. And it takes both technology knowledge and retail knowledge to understand what can really work here. Yeah, and I would... I think extend that idea that you were just speaking to of technology and supply chain, uh, I'd extend that out into uh, the world of business process automation, right? Software robots replacing, you, you know, slow thinking, slow moving human beings in so many processes across retail, right? You know, I, I look at, at, at different retailers with, you know, just big, big teams of people in marketing or merchandising, making routine decisions every day. Do we carry this new product? Do we, you know, deselect that product? Uh, you know, we need a team of 10 people to do this marketing campaign. All of that, you know, relatively soon, I think, being replaced by process automation, AI-powered expert systems, automating those processes, making decisions much faster and making much more effective decisions. And I, I think that's just another area related to what you were saying that's really going to transform uh, this industry. No, I think that's totally right. You know, a huge part of retail is repetitive tasks. And all of those things are well suited to robotics and artificial intelligence and um, me mechanical work in general. And given what's happening with labor costs and labor scarcity, that's temporary, but labor costs, which they're, they're not going down, that's inevitable. Yeah. And, you know, so Gary, you're picking up on your point. And I think, Richard, you know, when you look at the grocery industry, you're know, working on thin margins. The question is, what is the, what is the route to increasing those margins? The only way I can, you know, one of the ways that I can see it is obviously improving and making operations more efficient so that you can add to the top line margin by reducing your operational costs. And the only answer I see in operational costs is getting smarter about it, using technology like you said, Richard, whether it's in, it's in the customer facing front end piece or the back end supply chain piece or the internal operations of, you know, we have 20 people trying to figure out what the weekly ad is for the next three months and working with CPGs to get these deals that get keyed in that, I mean, there's this whole machinery at work that's just filled with a lot of inefficiencies. 
uh, on basically a system that there's no actual metrics on guarantee of success on those on those systems. And people have been doing that just because this is the way things have been done. And I, you know, and I and you see it in retail, you see it in a lot of industries where people are more resistant to change simply because they don't know what they will do if they change it. And, you know, it's, it's a fear of, you know, there's a saying that, you know, a lot of supermarketers don't want to be the first, they don't, they don't want to be the last. Right. <laughs> I, yeah, a, a CEO was just saying to me earlier today, retailers all want to be second. They want to see, nobody wants to be the first person to take a chance on technology, but after they see it work, they all want to do it and they want to be number two. And that makes complete sense because why? It's much less risky to do that. And an important part of retail, especially over the last 20 years, has been about reducing risk. But I also want to talk, you're, you're absolutely right, Shaker, about success being about creating efficiency. But there's another end to it, which is it's a little less applicable to grocery than it is to other parts of retail. But, you know, consumers are smart and, 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 and people generally are smart about their own money. So they know when they're paying the commodity price and they know when they're paying more than the commodity price. And you ask yourself, why would a consumer ever pay more than a commodity price? And, you know, it used to be uh, a key reason for that is status. But status is a lot less important now, and it gets less important every day. And what becomes more important is personal values, like sustainability we hear so much about, and, and, and that's sustainability is sustainable. Sustainability as a value is here to stay. And the environment and how people are treated and the wage that they get and where things come from and the healthfulness of it and all the things that are personal values that are shared more and more in society. And if you can convince a consumer that you are authentically uh, adding to those values or you are uh, espousing and acting on those values, they will pay more. And not only will they pay more, they'll tell their friends. So you can, if you can get them to identify with your value system, you can get them to come into your store. And one of the questions that, that fascinates me right now is, what is a store? A store used to be, and this is particularly relevant for grocery, because a store used to be a place where there's stuff. And if you wanted stuff, you had to come to the store because there was no other way to buy it. Well, now you don't have to come into the store. So why do we have stores? Part of it is there's some stuff you want to see some stuff you want to touch and feel, and that's, that's a good reason. But we're discovering more and more that there's less and less of that in the world, and more and more things are becoming more suitable in the eyes of more people to be bought online without seeing and touching it. But identity, events, experience, discovery, those are all great reasons to come to a store. So in the grocery business, the successful grocers discovered a long time ago that in that uh, structure of core and periphery, periphery really brings consumers into the store because they find new baked goods, new uh, freshly made goods, uh, all kinds of products that 
are much more, you're much more able to experience in person than in the store. And they really don't need to come into the store for the core products, which is why they're susceptible to subscription and direct to consumer marketing from stores. So, you know, we've seen the, the rare supermarket that's able to really capitalize on uh, consumer experience in store and discovery and all those great things. And it, it, there's going to be more merchandising in the grocery business and in all of retail in the future. And those are the stores that can survive because they can get consumers to come in, to buy a lot more than they expected, be happy about it and pay more. And that's, that, that's an important aspect of the future of stores that until recently didn't really matter in the grocery business. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, the days of utility shopping are, are gone, right? If I no. just need replenishment of dog food, paper goods, et cetera, it's far easier just to order online, have it show up at the door. You know, there's, I think grocery retail does have a great opportunity to provide either that experience or experience and education, you know, together. Uh, to get people into the physical store. But, you know, that's been true for a long time. And yet we still see very few retailers that are truly able to, you know, capitalize on that kind of idea, right? Like a Wegmans, you know, HEB Central Markets, uh, you know, a handful of independents around the country. Um, so, yes, great opportunity, really tough to execute again. Really tough to execute. And the thing about it is, you know, I was saying before that retailers, can understand a sock or a potato as a big opportunity. It's really hard to understand. If, you're, if you've been trafficking in, in socks and potatoes for decades, it's really hard to start thinking about opportunities in terms of technology. And that's where legacy companies are getting stuck and why there's an opportunity for upstarts. But uh, if you ask me, watch Nike because they're integrating their electronic selling with their store. And that's really interesting. We hear a lot about omni-channel. I don't get omni-channel. We shouldn't be talking about channels at all. It's not right. about channels. It's about selling stuff wherever you do it. And Nike gets that. And so you can buy their stuff on their app. You can buy their stuff in their store. You can buy their stuff on their app in their store. And you can use the app to shop. You can say, well, bring me a size nine. And someone shows up with a size nine. And, and that's where the world is going. And yeah. Right. Totally. In fact, I, I, I heard something really interesting the other day about loyalty and said there's two types of loyalty. One is true loyalty. This is where the customers are willing to stay to get your service, which is the, you know, like an Amex used to be, right? You had to pay. There was a membership fee and you paid the 99 bucks gladly because the value that you derived of being an Amex member was greater than 99 bucks that you paid. And then there's the retention loyalty where there's the business is paying you to stay loyal to them. And, 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 you know, I think, you know, when you think about the Amazon Prime example, where people are actually paying to be a loyalty member of Amazon, they've obviously got some part of that formula, right? Because they've realized, how do I create more value than I'm charging my customer? Yep. They are willing to pay that amount just to be a loyalty member. And it would be unheard of for a supermarket to say, okay, you got to pay me 50 bucks to get my card. <laughs> Right. And and because I think they program people into this retention loyalty model where you always feel you're going to get a deal and the deal is why you stay loyal. 
And well, that is, that is the amazing thing about Costco because they do get you to pay just for the privilege of giving them money. And exactly. that, that's amazing. You know, yeah. we all go to websites and if you go to a website for the first time, often the first thing that happens is a, is a uh, splash box that shows like, give us your email, we'll give you 15% off or whatever. Right. And I see that and I ask myself, if they don't believe in their price, why should I believe in their price? Their tell the first message they say, they say to me is, "Our product's not worth the price we're asking." What a what a bad introduction! <laughs> and and if you want loyalty, you don't want the customers who only care about the fifteen off. You want the customers who care about the object. So I think you know that. And when I ask this question of managers and CEOs. They all tell me, but we find the economics are, we get a return on that from the customer. Yeah, but you're sending the wrong message. You're not getting the right customers. The right customers are the ones who value your brand. So give us your email address, totally get that. That has real economic value. But the email addresses you really want are the people to whom your brand has value, not the ones who shop only when there's 40 off. So, So brands need to believe in themselves. And yeah. when your only dial for increasing consumer interest is price, you're in trouble. Right. No, yeah. I, mean, I think wise words because, you know, of course, it's easier said than done because it's, some of this thinking is so deeply ingrained in, in the people in the industry that while they may intellectually understand, comprehend, and even agree with this, the process of changing the machinery of, you know, how it's been set up is not an easy task. And obviously, you know, that's why it's set up right for disruption, because where you, you're going to have new companies come in, change the model on you, where you don't have a choice but to, you know, flip a switch and say, all right, you know, time's up. We got to change the game here. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm loving this conversation, Gary. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening or like who feel that, Oh my God, I thought this was a retail perch friendly to the grocery industry. And, you know, this seems like, you know, we're upsetting the apple cart here. I think, I think what we're really trying to do is make people think, stop and think about what are we doing? Where the world's heading? And are there changes that we can start bringing into the organization to how we do business that makes it more focused around consumer expectations and yet at the same time, keeping our business profitable and keep going, right? So... Yeah. You know, I love the grocery business. I, I always did. When I go to cities I've never been to, I often go into the supermarket because the supermarket has to respond to how people live. And when you want to understand the culture you're in, going to a supermarket helps you do that. And that's one of the most interesting things, I think, about visiting new places. So, you know, <laughs> When you, when you go to a supermarket in America, there's an aisle that's completely filled with breakfast cereal. When you go to the supermarket in Italy, there's an aisle that's completely filled with olive oil. And you, you ask, how could there be so much olive oil? What's the difference? Well, there's a difference. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it's, I think the supermarket's just such a fascinating place. Yeah, no, it is. Let me take this in a little bit different direction. Because I think a lot of our listeners, Richard, would enjoy your comments here. You know, looking at what's going on with non-traditional players that have come into the industry. So an Instacart, right? A Goldpuff. You've got an Instacart with a $39 billion valuation now. More than Kroger and the Albertsons combined. 
Uh, GoPuff just raised another big chunk of money a week or two ago at a $15 billion valuation, almost doubling their valuation in like six months. I, I know there's a lot of discussion across the industry, across traditional retailers today around some of these new uh, entrants uh, and how the game seems to be changing, but love your, your thoughts, comments around companies like that. First of all, there's, there's a few things. First of all, there's the nature of financial markets. Financial markets often overreact. What do I mean by that? When there's a new form of business, financial markets get very excited and they overvalue it. And then there's disappointment and a realization of what the true metrics are for profitability and a sustainable business. And those valuations come down to earth. I don't know where we are in that cycle for these kinds of businesses. But what's the fundamental debate here? It's we know that consumers, home delivery and uh, um, click and collect exploded during the pandemic in the grocery business, and they're not going away. But who will win? There's a debate about micro delivery versus macro delivery. So you have Ocado and their huge facilities. And the industry seems to be disfavoring that now in favor of micro delivery and 15 minute fast delivery. I, I, I think the answer is both because you know when you're going to need more paper towels and you do have the ability to order it from that facility that's 60 miles away with a seven day lead time. And you may not be aware that you ran out of an ingredient for a recipe that you have in the bowl right now and you, you can't wait more than 10, 15 minutes for it. I think there's a place for both and you, you're willing to pay a price for that fast delivery that you're not willing to pay for the paper towels, toilet paper, et cetera, that you can afford. So there's a place for both. And I think a grocer that offers both can say, I'll give you this cheap price on this thing if you'll take it in seven days, but I'll still sell it to you for a 15 minute delivery at this higher price. And I think that's something that we haven't really seen in the market yet, but that we will. And it is yet one more form of grocery that never existed before that we're going to see more of. So, and, you know, you pile that on to the subscription and direct-to-consumer marketing. It is one more of the changes that we will see or that we are likely to see in the grocery business that we haven't seen before because we still think of it as the once or twice a week big grocery trip that is just going to get completely blown up because why shouldn't it? What, why, why are we sticking to that same metaphor? It's just, you know, once consumers get it out of their heads that they don't have to do that once a week thing because they're not actually going to the store, then everything changes and the whole world is open. So there is a place for those delivery facilities, even if they are inefficient and expensive for consumers who want things right away and will pay. But there's also a place for those very large, highly efficient, distant facilities that can, can aggregate multiple city delivery from one facility that make, that make it very inexpensive. 
And, and I don't think anybody knows the answer to that yet. And it's going to be different in different places and for different people at different stages of life. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. No, this has been, uh, like I said, I was telling the, I was telling the listeners when we started here, this is going to be an exciting conversation. And it certainly has been. I'm sure it sparked a lot of thoughts, got a lot of people talking. Hopefully there's plenty of conversations happening after you listen to this and go back to your office and say, we got to think about our business and, uh, uh, but, you know, you heard it first here on the Retail Perch with Richard Kessenbaum. So remember that. Uh, but Richard, I want also want to let you know that uh, you're, of course, welcome back on the show anytime. Thank but so the only ticket you have to get is this uh, coffee mug. So if you give us your address, <laughs> is we'll mail you one of these for being a, for being a guest on the show. And uh, you got to have a cup of coffee with us on the show. That's the I would love to do that. Yeah, absolutely. No, this has been an absolutely, you know, and clearly your experience and uh, objective and very clear opinions. I, I loved the, uh, I love the clarity of your thinking. I love the uh, excitement that I can sense in your voice about where things are going. I think they're, they're both uh, work really in tandem to convince and really provoke thought in the listener that there's big changes afoot and we've got to think differently. We've got to step out of where we are and look at where we are and say, where are we going? How do we make this better? And you know, what has to change? And this is the time to do it. So well, Shaker, I buy my coffee direct to consumer. So I'll be glad to to enjoy that with you. Fantastic. <laughs> Gary, any, anything before we Richard, thank you for being with us today. It was a great discussion. And yeah, we, we'd love to uh, get you back on at some point in the future. And, uh, you know, look forward to talking with you again soon. Well, yeah. thanks so much for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to talk to you. And thanks for uh, for having a great chat. Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to close that, you know, I want to thank Stephanie here, who actually produces the show for us, puts, you know, takes out all the ahs and ums and the awkward pauses and makes us look like we've done this really professionally. So appreciate that. And you guys out there have a safe uh, summer. I know it's drawing to a close here in about a month. I can't believe summer is getting over. So and but you know it's been a fantastic summer so far and uh, i'm sure everybody's doing well we'll talk to you guys make sure to join us every monday and connect with us at the retail perch on instagram and facebook and if you have any questions feel free to email us at the retail perch at birdseye.com until next time this is shaker and this is gary signing off